Hi, I'm Amanda. I'm a mother, wife, herbalist, nurse, and obsessed with wellness. I can't wait to talk all about what I've learned through my two postpartum experiences, motherhood, my own healing journey, and more. Let's discuss herbs for kids, healing postpartum, the struggles and joys of motherhood, science, and more as we grow together. Before we get started today, I just want to do a disclaimer. Um, I am not a doctor. I am not diagnosing or treating or curing any diseases. This is a podcast just for informational, educational purposes only. If you feel that you need to work with a healthcare practitioner, please do. If you feel that you need to work with an herbalist, please do. Just know that in the United States, um, herbalists have no licensing body. And so um, you never know what you're going to get. So make sure that you do your research into what your herbalist knows and who they know and how they know. Um, But I'm just disclaiming for this podcast, this is for informational purposes only. And I hope that you find lots of information in it. Hi, Lauren. Welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to have you here. I know you through Instagram, but I'm so excited for you to introduce yourself to everyone else. Hi, Amanda. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here and to chat with you as well. Um, So I got started um, as a mom is kind of what started this entire career shift that I experienced when I became a mom and stepped into my role as a a mama. That was six years ago. Um, And I did like a total 180. I was on a completely different path. And as I got into the nitty gritty of motherhood, I realized more and more, um, especially throughout that first year, um, how fascinating and layered the topic of motherhood and parenting is, how nuanced the parent-child relationships are. And as I really kind of leaned into learning from my own child, I decided that I wanted to support other parents going through the same process, that same big growth spurt that you go through when you become a parent, right? And so I first certified as postpartum doula um, when my my first was a baby. Then um, I kept getting like more and more niche. So I did postpartum doula certification training. Um, then I got credentialed through La Leche League. Then I got my um, lactation educator credentials. And then I did my uh, baby sleep and well-being credentials. And so I've kind of, you know, over the last six years, been really refining um, what my vision is for my business, how I best can support families going through those changes. I do a combination of virtual support for families all over. And then I also work with families in my community. I'm based in Nashville, Tennessee um, in the States. And I do uh, postpartum and lactation support for those families here and then sleep support for everybody else virtually. Um, So that's what I do professionally, but I'm also a mom um, of that six-year-old and now of a almost 15-month-old as well. And um, we were just saying before you hit record, just what the difference is between the first and second baby. You know, I did all of my education between my first and second child. And so it's been really lovely getting to, you know, apply some of this knowledge that I gained over the last six years 
um, to my second baby. And also, you know, part of me still feels like I know nothing. I'm learning every single day with this new person who is their own person and nothing like my first child. And so they require a different parent of me. You know? And so learning how to meet those needs for both my children um, is fascinating and, you know, eye opening and heart and maddening and all the things that parenthood is. And um, that's really my passion is talking to other folks, other parents about exactly that. And however best I can support them, whether it's, you know, the family's having trouble sleeping, the baby's having trouble feeding, we need to um, resource this parent with, you know, attachment-based, um, relationship-focused, uh, parenting resources, that's kind of where the lens that I'm viewing it is coming from. Yes. After my second was born, I read The Attachment Parent and it like changed my life. It was like, I was like, whoa, what? And you know, when you have your second kid, you kind of look back and you're like, man, I wish I could give my first kid my second kid's mom, but your first kid needed the first kid mom. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I mean, there's really no other way to do it other than just going through it. You just have to go through it. And, um, you know, it's there's a lot of growth and learning that happens. And I see that as a positive. I really do. Absolutely. Absolutely. So today we're going to kind of focus on normal infant sleep. And I just want to preface this by this is biologically how infants are made to sleep. This is not a schedule. This is not something that someone can sell you. This is literally just how infants are biologically made to sleep so that they stay alive and this so that they stay healthy. <laughs> so Lauren, would you like to just kind of give us a as good, I don't know, I wanna say as good, but like, I guess we can't talk for like six hours about it. So just give us an info on normal infant sleep. Yes, it's, I mean, it truly is, we could talk all day because um, you know, we, we we were talking a minute ago about temperament and personality again before you started recording, but like there are so many parts of the puzzle that is sleep and that is for all humans. It's not just for babies. You know, we tend to put a lot of expectations and pressure and that turns into sometimes huge crippling anxiety on the way that babies sleep. Um, but we have to remember that adults are nuanced, tricky creatures when it comes to sleep too. We're just used to ourselves. So we think about it less, but we have a baby and then you're thrown into the depths of sleep deprivation and it is real and it is really hard. Right. Um, yeah. and what can amplify that difficulty and make it even harder is having this mismatch of expectations versus reality. We also yes. have a biological mismatch between adult sleep and infant sleep. And so that I think is the first thing to understand is that we actually sleep different than our babies. And the way that our babies sleep is not wrong. It's not broken. It's not a problem to be solved or fixed. There's a really important biological reason for the way that babies sleep, which is shorter, lighter stages of sleep. That is safe sleep for a baby. And that's what I feel like I spend a lot of time underscore, underscore, underscoring is that's the safest way for babies to sleep. Is your baby waking throughout the night? Wonderful. That's exactly what they should be doing. That's the safest yeah. way for them to sleep. 
um, they are not ready when they are little little babies. It's not if they're not ready to go into those long independent stretches of deep sleep. Okay. Um, and so whereas adults and even older babies and children have four cycles of sleep that we go through during a sleep phase or a sleep cycle, babies only have two for about the first 12 weeks. Okay. Um, they just have two, two phases of sleep that they're going through. And it's the REM sleep, which is that kind of active sleep where they're and wiring all those neural pathways that their brains are creating as they rapidly grow and develop. You know, those first six months are a huge time for brain growth and development in babies. A lot of that gets wired at night and consolidated at night. And then they have their quiet sleep, their non-REM sleep. And that's it. Now, adults are going through four phases, so our sleep cycles are longer. So right out the gate, we have this mismatch in the length of sleep cycles. And an infant sleep cycle lasts roughly 45 to 60 minutes. Ours is more like 60 to 90. Um, so that's the first thing to understand. And that it's normal for babies to wake and signal in between sleep cycles. Um, it's normal for babies to, to need that proximity and closeness and that sensory stimulation from their caregiver, again, that's a safer way for them to sleep. So keeping them close to the parent, not having them swaddled um, down the hall in their own bedroom, which is how historically for the last, you know, 60 years, we've really treated infant sleep is put that baby in a swaddle in the crib down the hall. And now mm -hmm. that conversation is changing and the guidelines, you know, luckily are, have been updated that is safest for babies to at least sleep in the bedroom of the parent for at least the first six months and ideally the first year. So that is in, you know, at least in the states here, those are our sleep guidelines for babies. Um, but there is still um, a lot of misunderstanding about infant sleep and a lot of mistruths that get perpetuated by sleep training culture, by yes. professionals, medical yeah. medical professionals, um, pediatricians, mm -hmm. who are still kind of coming from this outdated model of infant sleep. And so mm -hmm. I, you know, don't consider it necessarily my like personal mission to turn all of that on its head and like be this big savior around infant sleep. But I do think these are important conversations, especially when we're looking at parental mental health and well-being. Um, is setting parents up for what baby sleep really looks like and that your baby might not sleep, you know, by themselves in their bassinet that you spent a ton of money on, you know, they might only sleep on your body. And the two of you are this shared kind of ecosystem and baby comes wow. out of your body expecting to be on your body still for quite a while. And that's where their entire nervous system is regulated and thus where they sleep better. Yeah. I read something recently where it said that um, babies or children don't realize that they're a separate entity from their mom until like close to two, right? They think that they're like the same thing. Yes. Yeah. I've heard different ages around that um, yeah. idea or that theory. One of them is that external gestation where, you know, we have nine months in the womb and then nine months out. And that when we look at it from a brain development standpoint, yeah. that makes a lot of sense. And that if babies, you know, 
ideally would gestate for like that full 18 months, but our brains would be too big to come out of the birth canal. So we're technically born premature. And then we finish our gestation externally. And during that second nine months, babies really want that contact and closeness from their caregiver because yes, they're yeah. still feeling like, you know, you're the same person or your nervous systems are essentially the same. They're kind of borrowing yours for a while. Mm. Um, and then of course, as they get older and into the toddler years and develop their own sense of self and personhood and autonomy, that shift, you know, starts happening really, really gradually. Yeah. Yeah. You touched on, you know, parental mental health and um, me, myself, what sent me down this like research rabbit hole for my second child. Um, after my first child, I had like really severe PPA, postpartum anxiety. And a lot of it was around sleep after I had him. Yeah. I would either sleep with my hand in his crib and like not sleep, feeling his breaths when yeah. we put him in his own room, because that's what society told us we had to do. Oh, mama, you're not getting sleep. Put your baby in his own room. Right. For me, that was not the answer. I would literally sit there watching the monitor. Is that is that a breath? Is that a breath? Let me go put my finger under his nose yeah. all night and just like watching him breathe. So worried about his survival. And, you know, with my second three nights after doing the bassinet next to bed, I said, forget it. We're we chose to bed share and co-sleep after looking at, you know, the safe seven, which I'm sure we'll get into. But I really think that because the sleep training industry is so big that it kind of almost preys upon these moms that have PPA around sleep. And I work with a lot of women who have PPA around sleep. They really start feeling like, my baby's not sleeping. I'm not sleeping. I'm supposed to be sleeping. My baby's supposed to be sleeping. Uh-oh, he's not getting enough sleep for his brain development or things like that. These, these um, I don't want to call them lives, but maybe like stretched truths that are all over. And yeah. I just, if you, if you talked to a mama who was like, like I was so terrified about sleep and just worried about being away from their baby at night, what do you usually advise her? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's so tricky. And it's a it's a really delicate conversation to have. And of Ooh. course, I want to make sure that at the end of any of these conversations that ultimately the parent is feeling supported and whatever they choose, I believe in informed decision making, and I believe ah. in gathering, you know, accurate information, like, yes. big asterisk, but like accurate information so that you can make your informed decision. Now, I think that we look at it as this quick fix. We have these strikingly high rates of postpartum mood and anxiety disorders. Mm -hmm. And one of the first things to tell parents is separate, separate, separate from your baby. Your baby needs to be more independent from you, more independence, that push, yeah. push, push from the beginning to separate mm -hmm. the baby from the parent. That yeah. is going to feel for many parents, and I'm not, I'm speaking in general terms, so I will oh, say for many parents. That's going to feel wrong in your body right out the gate. Your body is not wired for that separation and your baby is certainly not, okay? They're going to thrive when they're closer to you all the time or at least most of the time. Yeah. And so, you know, first let's find that balance. What, like, what feels good to you? Do you want to co-sleep? Is that an option for your family, safely bed sharing? If not, how close can we keep baby so that they're, you know, 
their nighttime needs, which are very real and continue for a lot longer than most folks think, so that their mm -hmm. nighttime needs can continue to be met without impeding on your own need for sleep too yeah. much, you know, and striking that balance. I think when we boil it down to you need to separate from your baby or you need to sleep train your baby, we're really oversimplifying and we're overlooking the fact that that can and does exacerbate those anxiety symptoms, oppressive symptoms in some people um, yeah. worse than before. You know, like you said, we get that hypervigilance of is my baby okay? I don't know. I can't see them. Or mm -hmm. when folks are told to sleep train and made to feel like that's their only option to ever get sleep. Now you okay. have this really anxious parent that has to sit outside of their baby's room with the door shut, not responding to a crying baby, which again, mm -hmm. that's going to feel wrong in your body. And it can exacerbate those feelings of anxiousness and it can make things worse. It's not going to be that way for everybody. And that's right. why everybody has to make their own decision. But it's definitely why I don't believe in making these like sweeping generalizations and just telling every parent that sleep training or getting your baby to sleep independently is the best option for you because it might not be. And so having those conversations with parents in an open, non-judgmental way about what they feel like would work best for their family unit. What is your, what are your options? Is there even a room for baby to go? Um, you know, if, if, if keeping them in your sleep space is doable for you, then what does that look like? Is it safely bed sharing? Is it a sidecar crib pushed right up next to your bed? Is it a floor bed somewhere in your room? There's many ways to do it. Do you need to sleep with your baby for a while and your partner sleeps in another room, which is like a big no-no in many people's eyes, but ask bed sharing families. Most of them have done it at one point or another and they're, oh, yeah. guess what? Their marriages turn out just fine. So there's Absolutely. just a lot of ways to look at it. And yeah. um, when we oversimplify, I don't think that ultimately we're doing parents any favors. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that kind, of, that kind of brings me to the next thing I was going to talk about, which is um, I think one of the biggest lies, this one I'll call a lie because I can personally speak for it. So many people mm -hmm. say that co-sleeping, and that means like within the same room, it doesn't even mean within the same bed, gets in the way of a romantic right. relationship with your partner. I 1000% disagree. Um, I would say mm -hmm. that our romantic relationship is even better because he's getting a full night's rest and I'm not an anxious mess about my kid all night. I'm not saying right. that we are having our romantic time right next to the baby. <laughs> but um, that just leads me to like a myth to bust. Like that is, that's the myth that I will bust for people. Like that is not going to impact your romantic relationship. I don't know anyone who only has their romantic relationship in bed. Okay. So are there <laughs> any like myths that just drive you nuts that you want to like bust? Oh yeah. I mean, that's, that's a great one for sure. I think that, you know, what's funny about that myth is like, we, we have that, that, that if you let your baby into your bed, you'll never have intimacy with your partner again. Well, isn't that funny that bed sharing, co-sleeping families keep procre procreating, right? <laughs> um, another one, another big one in the same vein is if you let your baby into your bed, they'll be, they, they'll be in there until college, until they leave for college, right? That's right. a huge one, yeah. um, which is honestly laughable. Um, yeah. 
you know, and anybody who tells you that just brush it off your shoulder, mama, because that is ridiculous. Um, children make transitions at their own time, at their own developmental readiness. And if ever it feels like it's not happening at a time frame that is working for your family and you need to make, you know, I call it a parent led change. If you need to make it a, a make a parent led change and gently help that child transition from bed sharing to sleeping in their own space, whether that child is six months old or six years old. OK, because what works for one family is not going to work for every family. So whatever is working for your family, if it stops working at any point, we can change that. That's OK. And we can do it in a way that honors your attachment with your child, that yeah. if you're still feeding at night, we, we can do it in a way that honors that, you know, there are 100% ways to work around these things. Just like if so if you never did anything at all, just like your child would potty train eventually, learn to walk and talk eventually, you know, these are developmental milestones, and they would eventually move to their own bed. And again, if it happens to be, you know, not happening on your time frame, then I'm happy to come in and help you work through that transition. Yeah, but that's another yeah. big And it's great to call and help on those things because sometimes they can feel too big. Or um, I like to say like a lot of my, for me, I'll speak for myself, a lot of my motherhood identity will get wrapped up in a decision that I've made. And how mm -hmm. do I move on to the next decision? I think that mm -hmm. that can be really, really huge. And just to kind of normalize some different sleep ways, I'll talk about just kind of the different things that we did in my family, because I think sometimes you need just like a picture of what it looks like. So with my yeah. first, we tried his own crib in his own room and that he, he woke up several times a night and we were going in and going in and going in and going in. And we said, well, and then he got really tall and he wasn't really fitting in his crib. So we were like, okay, let's try a floor bed in his room. And we were going in and we were going in. And that was very disruptive to our sleep at night. And then we realized we were falling asleep on his floor bed with him. <laughs> and we said, why are we doing this? So we brought his floor bed and I'm talking, this was at three years old. This was not mm -hmm. an infant. We brought mm -hmm. his floor bed into our room, put mm -hmm. it at the foot of our bed. And he would sleep down there or he would do half night down there, half night up, up in our bed. And that was fine. That worked great. And I will tell you when he was about four and a half, he said, I want my own room now. And he moved to his own room. He still wakes up here and there at night because kids do. We do. Yeah. I do. Um, yeah. Totally normal. My, my youngest, three days in, he started sleeping in the bed with me. He still sleeps in the bed with me. My husband, sometimes he'll sleep with us. Sometimes he'll take his own bed. If he needs extra sleep, it yeah. works. Yeah. I brought a floor bed in for him into our room. Now him and I sleep in his floor bed because that's just what happened. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean, like, yes, let's normalize that conversation of it's, it's very normal. Most families are playing musical beds and they just don't talk about it. Okay. Like even most families that say, I would never let my baby into my bed. I would never co-sleep or bed chair or whatever you want to call it. And yeah. then if you really start asking them questions, they're like, oh yeah, well, my baby starts the night in their crib and they do four or five hours in the crib and then they have to nurse and I don't want to get up. So I bring them into my bed and they nurse and then we might fall asleep. And, you know, like, People might not admit those things right out the gate, especially because we live in a culture that shames parents for, for doing these things. And so a lot of us have our guard up and our defenses up. I get it. But yep. I would say that 
vast majority of families are doing some form of musical bed. And if it's working for you, you go right on doing it. Got to get your sleep. And so if that's how you get your sleep, who cares? Nobody's spying on you. If it works for your family, do it. Do your thing. Yeah. And also, I think when you kind of, when you put the research into bed sharing, Mm -hmm. which I know is not like the focus of our conversation right now. But when you put the research into bed sharing, there's a safe sleep seven. If you do it the right way, it can be safe. If you don't, if you do it on accident, like you're trying so hard not to bed share, but you keep falling asleep in bed, that's where there can be problems because you're not set up for this safe way of co-sleeping. And so that's why I always say like when you're pregnant, have this conversation with your your spouse or your partner about what what sleep is going to look like and then create a backup plan and then create another backup plan because your kid is going to come out totally different than what you thought they were going to be. <laughs> that's for sure. Um my oldest had colic and we were like, "Okay, this is this is not what we expected." And I just yeah. think having those conversations ahead of time keeps from yeah. keeps the mistakes and a lot of the fights from happening. Um, I think those so are true. really, really big. Yeah. Um, so true. I, yeah. <laughs> Do you have any like resources or what's your favorite things to give people when they are looking to make that sleep plan or looking at the options? Yeah, totally. So I mean, exactly what you just said is that we want to educate parents on intentional safe bed sharing versus chaotic bed sharing, which is what you just described, where you wind up bringing the baby into the bed without planning on it. And so the bed perhaps has not been set up safely. And there is a safe and an unsafe way to bed share. Okay. It's, um, it's not just like those of us out here winging it, bringing baby into bed and like living our best life with like the cat and the dog. And, you know, yeah. people are going to take the safe bed sharing guidelines and adapt them to their family. Yes. But there are guidelines that are very helpful and they are mm-hmm. evidence based. And there's amazing people researching this very topic like James McKenna and Helen Ball. And we have the Safe Sleep 7 from Leche League. These are really valuable tools and resources. And I would recommend anybody expecting a baby, particularly if you plan on breastfeeding that baby, to look at these resources before your baby comes. And so that's a big conversation that I have, especially when I'm doing prenatal lactation education, is that, you know, your baby is going to need to feed at night. Their nighttime needs are not less than their daytime needs. So we need to talk through a way or you need to talk through a way with your partner Um, about how you can continue meeting those nighttime needs to protect your milk supply, to protect baby's growth and development um, by keeping them close. And, you know, what that looks like for each individual family is going to vary. And like you said, what often happens is you have a way of thinking it's going to look and then a way that it shakes out. And, you know, the baby that you have has not read the sleep books and the schedules that you had before they came. They have their own agenda. They have their own temperament, their own personality, their own sensory needs, um, their own, you know, what makes their little nervous systems tick or calms them just like you and I do. Sleep associations, environmental cues. And so, you know, when we look at these generic plans and guides, 
um, they are going to be addressing one part of the population or one kind of baby. And often it's what I call a unicorn baby that, yes. okay, you're, it, it worked for your friends and they are able to put their baby down drowsy but awake and the baby settles right down to sleep and doesn't cue to feed until 7 a.m. Good for your friend. Your friend has a unicorn baby. That is not how the vast majority of babies are. That's not how they work. Mm -hmm. So, you know, understanding that the baby in front of you is their own unique person and then being prepared to have a plan in place and adapt that plan, just like you said. We can, you know, put all that intentionality and mindfulness into building our blueprint of like what our perfect scenario looks like just with, like with having babies, you know, and, and building a birth plan. Yeah. Um, but what ultimately happens is, you know, it's kind of some, somewhat out of our control and we have to be able to be flexible and adaptable. Otherwise, you know, again, those uh, PPD um, symptoms might get exacerbated if you're just yeah. trying and trying hitting this wall of trying to get your baby to do something that they might not be ready to do or able to do, yeah. that's incredibly frustrating. And so just doing your best to be flexible, you know, I know it's easier yeah. said than done, but arm yourself with, with knowledge, knowledge is power, look up the Safe Sleep 7, read James McKenna's books, yeah. um, and, and then find a support system, you know, ideally that is going to support your choices. Bravo. Yes. I love it. I love it. So shifting gears a little bit, kind of, I mean, we were just talking about how, you know, being, being a parent and having your own like nervous system supplements or helps your baby's nervous system and all of that. So the theme of this season's podcast is matrescence. And I always like to say, you know, matrescence at its most basic, basic form is going from maiden to mother. But um, how do you feel that matrescence has affected your life and work? Ooh, um, I mean, I think that it is at the core of every single decision that I've made in the last six years. <laughs> yes. Like, you know, it's the more that I get into parenting, the further that I get into mothering my kids, the more I realize that parenting is so much less about my own agenda and my own ideas of what the perfect parent looks like and so much more about being open to learn from my kids and identifying my own triggers and working on those myself which have nothing to do with my kids but constantly getting dinged by them right yeah. um that's that's what comes to mind when I think of matrescence is that maternal adolescence, right? It's this huge yeah. developmental growth period, which I believe never ends once you become a parent. So um, too. <laughs> you know, just like just like post your postpartum forever. That's a conversation that I like to have with new parents. Yes. It's not just this little six week window or or yes. twelve week window. Your postpartum forever. It just means after having or carrying a, a baby. Um, mm -hmm. and the same with matrescence, like, I feel like every time I get a little bit of this sense of like, okay, I've got this on lock, I'm good. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Then I get hit with some new lesson and the lessons yeah. really present themselves in a way that asks me the same questions. I think over and over, I've left it on this quite a bit, like lessons might look different in shape and how they show up with my kids at different ages and phases. 
but they're yeah. asking me the same thing over and over again, which is how can I show up in this moment for my kids? How can I be present? How can I identify what is triggering me right now and set that aside or tend to it without involving my kids? You know, and ultimately, yeah. how can I be the source of patience and unconditional love that they need while knowing that I'm going to fall short a lot and then not beating myself up for that, you know? Knowing that if I'm comparing myself to some per some picture of a perfect mom, that doesn't exist. I'm comparing myself to a made up fictitious thing. Yes. Um, but just trying to really sit with and think about like how to show up best for my kids so that I at least feel, you know, some of the time like I'm doing my best and, and being the best parent that I can be. And that means making mistakes. It means making mistakes in front of my kids and admitting to it and apologizing yeah. and making the repairs like that's that's what it is. And so I think that, you know, once you become a parent, if you're open to those lessons, they never stop. They just keep coming and presenting themselves in different ways as your kids get older. I think yeah. that's the beauty of parents of parenthood um, and of motherhood. It's really hard. It's incredibly oh, yeah. humbling and frustrating and really, really hard. And mm -hmm. I don't know that I've ever felt like, okay, yeah, this is, this is easy now. I don't think I would ever call parenting easy, but yeah. we have our seasons of, you know, more contentment and our seasons of more disruption and chaos and whatever season I find myself in, that's kind of what I'm going back to. So that's my very long winded answer to that's your perfect. question. There's no short answer for it. I have yet to, I've asked no. this question quite a few times this season. I have yet to have somebody be like, ah, I mean, it didn't really affect that much. People are always like, oh right. God, what didn't it touch? I'm like, yes, right. <laughs> that's yeah. the whole point. <laughs> yeah. So I'm sure every single person that's listening right now is like, okay, so I need Lauren in my life. Uh, come fix my baby <laughs> and my sleep. And you're like, I can make you feel better about it, but I'm not going to fix it, but let's talk. So how can people find you and tell us about any offerings that you have going on right now? Sure. Um, so I love to connect with folks on Instagram. I would say that's my main jam when it comes to social media. Um, I cannot get into TikTok, so I'm not there. Oh, God, I, have, um, hard. I feel old. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, totally. I feel too old. I'm an elder millennial. I'm, I'm too old for TikTok. Um, but yeah, I'm on Instagram at wellmama underscore um w-e-l-l-m-a-m-a -M -A underscore um my website is wellmamacare.com and you can um submit a contact inquiry through my website if you'd like to take a look at my services and um get in touch or you're welcome to message me on instagram too um and yeah i mean i do one-on-one -on -one sessions with folks on feeding and sleep i view those two things as very much connected and so um, whatever service you book, I'm going to talk to you about both. Um, but I do have them listed as separate services on my website just for folks who have a strong feeling either way of, you know, where they're needing the most support. I'm also about to bring back my package um, option for sleep support. So it's a little bit more in depth and involved. Um, since my baby was born, I've just been doing my hourly support option, but I'm excited to bring back a package. And um, if you're in the Nashville area and happen to be listening to this, I'm doing some local uh, workshops coming up um, that you can find out more about um, on Instagram. So that's, that's where to find me. 
Yes, yes. Lauren, this has been everything and more. Thank you so, so much for joining me and sharing your knowledge and sharing your time. We appreciate you. Thank you for having me. It was so fun. so much for listening to this episode. I am so grateful to have you here in this podcast space talking about motherhood and herbs and natural living and matrescence and all these big, huge, beautiful topics. If you liked this episode, I would sincerely appreciate you considering leaving a review. To rate and review the podcast allows more people to see it. It also allows potential for sponsorship, which is really exciting. Um, I would love for you to join me over on my website, www.treemamaherbals.com, where you can read my blogs, you can check out my monthly workshops that I teach, you can see my self-paced workshops or courses that are already on the website, you can book one-on-one session with me in my postpartum vitality sessions, which is this beautiful container for bringing mama back to life, giving balance and vitality and energy back to mama using herbs and lifestyle and nutrition and just holding space so you can also follow me on instagram i'm at tree mama herbals and i would love to connect with you feel free to shoot me an email if anything strikes you um, amanda at treemamaherbals.com i am so thankful and grateful to be a part of your motherhood journey we're not meant to do this alone